Good morning, church. Morning, church. I'm actually glad to be with all of us here this morning. I was actually reminded by a senior saint recently that the church is a family in Christ. So I'm happy to be with family here this morning. I also want to welcome friends and visitors with us this morning. My name is Oliver, and I'm one of our pastors here, and it's our joy to have you here with us this morning. Welcome. I must confess that when I was assigned this particular text to preach this morning, it was with some fear and trembling, because this text speaks so close to the hearts of us here in Singapore. And I promise you, it is going to speak to us on a personal level in more ways than one. However, this is the Word of God, and hear it we must. So let us pray in preparation to the hearing of the Word of God. Father God, I thank you that you have not left us as we are, but you have given us your Word to not only tell us of the wonderful good news of how you saved and delivered us, but that your Word also changes us so that we would more and more be conformed to the image of Christ. God, I pray that as we look into your Bible this morning, I pray as one of your saints, John Stott, once prayed, that your word be our rule and authority, that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide, and that your glory be our chief concern. We pray that your spirit, working through your word, will remove any self-deceit from our hearts so that we can see the truth of your word and the glory of Christ as revealed in your word. Lord, enable us to see and seek to do your revealed will. We pray this for our good and for the sake of your glory. In Christ's name, amen. If you have been following the social media in the past week or two, you may have seen the Dove Real Beauty Sketches video making its rounds. In the video, a former forensic artist for the San Jose Police Department met a number of women and asked each of them to describe the way they look. He had no way of seeing them as they were behind a curtain. He asked them to describe themselves, hair length, facial structure, and their most prominent features. He then sketched each participant from their self-description. Each woman was also asked before the study to get to know one other participant. The forensic artist then prompted the other woman to describe the other's face and he drew another sketch. He drew another sketch based on the other's description. At the end of the video, he invites the women to look at the two sketches side by side. See here. Without fail, the sketch from the women provided in their self-description seen on the left looks less appealing and less good-looking compared to how others describe them and the look on their faces when they realized the truth, when they realized this truth was moving. Duff aimed in this social experiment to change the way women see themselves. Well, it didn't take very long for a wise guy to spoof this social experiment. He put up another video to show what would happen if the same social experiment were done with men. The process was repeated with men and at the end, the sketches were placed side by side. And the sketches based on the self-description showed that men 
thought they looked like George Clooney or Brad Pitt compared to how others saw them. Men in this booth thought themselves better looking compared to how others see them. But jokes aside, I think the video does tell us something very telling about us. We see from the video how we, men and women, tend not to see ourselves and what we do clearly and accurately. And as Christians, we know that this is because of our remaining indwelling sin. Our indwelling sin causes distortion in how we view ourselves and what we do. We are self-deceived. This is why James writes this letter and why we need this letter. He aims in this message to show us clearly who God is and he describes the wisdom that comes from him so that we can accurately see ourselves for who we are and what we are to do. He wants to help us battle self-deception. Wisdom is then seeing things from God's perspective, using God's goggles or God's eye view of viewing things, of seeing what is actually real, and then living out our lives according to this truth. So it's with this thought that you can please turn with me in your Bibles to today's passage, James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. We see in this section of the letter of James, it actually deals with the rich and their misuse of wealth. James here sounds like one of the Old Testament prophets denouncing the abuse and misuse of wealth. However, he is not simply crying out against several random acts of wickedness. Abuse of wealth is the final mark of a life of worldly wisdom that James describes in James chapter 3 and chapter 4. Abuse of wealth is another form of envy, coveting, strife and grasping. More precisely, oppression is the last in a series of offences against true religion. True religion, if you remember as James described in James chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, controls the tongue, looks after widows and orphans, and is unpolluted by the world. And we see in James 2 how James addresses the indifference, our indifference to the needy. James chapter 3 takes up the matter of the failure of our speech. And James 4 and 5, the section we are in today, James denounces pollution by the world. We can see in James 4 verse 11 to 12, in which Pastor Arnold preached last week, how we can be like the world in that we malign and judge our brothers. In James chapter 4 verse 13 to 17, we can be like the world and make presumptuous, presumptuous plans about our future. And finally, the section we are looking at today, James 5, 1 to 6, we can misuse wealth and financial power to oppress the poor and indulge ourselves. We see in James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, the most harshest and pointed teaching that comes from James. But he does this to shake us from our self-deceit and to help us to properly see wealth from God's perspective and deal with riches with God's wisdom. James' aim at the end of the day is meant for the good of us Christians. Meant for the good of the Christians he is writing to. 
that you, that they, that I can prevent wealth from destroying our life from within through heeding this warning against the misuse of wealth. So let us hear what James tells us. James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You rich. James calls out in these verses against the rich. Here James is addressing non-Christian rich folk who oppressed the people who depended on them. This is likely the same group of rich people he was referring to in James chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, who used the legal system to oppress the poor Christians. We need to understand the historical context when James was writing to his audience. Many of the Christians in the churches he was writing to were poor and likely dependent and working on the lands owned by the rich who were clearly wealthy landowners. In James' surrounding, we may think particularly of Palestinian Jewish landlords who owned large estates and were often concerned about how much profit they could gain from their lands. So you may think that if the passage today is addressed to non-Christian rich, does it mean it lets all of us off the hook? Does it mean it has nothing to do with you and me? Remember, James writes to the church so that we will not be self-deceived, to show us God's perspective and God's wisdom. So these verses present to us God's perspective on wealth and His wisdom in dealing with riches. So my challenge to you all today is then to hear God's timeless truth and see how it can be applied to you today in a timely manner. Try to discern God's practice for us. Think on this as we work our way through the next six verses. We see next James proceeding to announce condemnation on the rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. They are to wail and cry out. For the miseries that are coming refer not to earthly, temporary suffering, but rather James tells them of the coming condemnation and punishment that God will met out to them on the day of judgment for their sins. James is not condemning the rich for being wealthy per se, but the condemnation here is attributed to the misuse of wealth. We see in verses 2 to 6, James actually lists the sins of the rich people for their misuse of wealth that he is condemning. The first indictment of the rich has to do with the worthlessness of the worldly goods they have so carefully assimilated. James writes in verses 2 to 3, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. We see James often draws on Jesus' teaching. And this warning with the moth-eaten garments and rotted treasures sounds similar to Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19-21. to Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The sin that James writes here is of treasures being acquired unrighteously and selfishly hoarded. The verb that James uses for corroded here probably is better understood as completely corroded or corroded right through. For those of us who keep gold and silver objects or deals with precious metals, this will be quick to pick up on the irony. Objects made of gold and to a lesser extent silver actually do not rust as the chemists among us can attest. Gold can withstand corrosion and retain its metallic integrity for centuries. And silver, although it tarnishes on the surface, it too lasts a long time in the harsh environments and does not corrode through the way iron does. Yet James here declares that these materials that seem rust-proof from our worldly point of view, on the day of judgment, not only just corrodes, but is corroded true and true. It is totally worthless and of no value. Not only is it corroded, it also has a negative value. This corrosion will be evidence against you. Rust testifies in that the object manifests corrosion and rottenness. You know, when you actually go and shop for a second-hand used car, when we see the telltale, flaky, reddish-brown on a used car we're thinking of buying, the rust gives us evidence against the car by revealing that the car is corroded and in a crumbling condition. None of you will buy a car that shows signs of rust. Likewise, hoarded treasure will, on Judgment Day, testify against its hoarder by revealing what he or she is. It reveals the sin condition of their heart. The hoarding of wealth is not wrong. Not, the hoarding of wealth is wrong, not just because it demonstrates utterly fast priorities. It's doubly sinful because it deprives the needy of their very life when we hoard and not give to those who are in desperate need. James ends his first indictment with, you have laid up treasure in the last days. What James is saying here is that rather than being rich towards God, the rich here have hoarded up wealth instead. James declares that those who are avidly accumulating wealth in his days are particularly sinful. Firstly, because they disregard the demands upon people by the display of God's grace in Christ. And secondly, they are especially foolish. Why? Because they ignore the many signs of the rapidly approaching judgment. Like the rich fool in Luke 12, they fail to reckon with the sudden judgment that but have continued with misusing their wealth by hoarding treasures in these last days. And we are living in these last days. We are living in a time between Christ's first and second coming. So you do well to heed this warning. I remember a few weeks back when I was visiting a care group in the East. During the meeting, the leader shared of how he had met a work contact recently. And during the course of their conversation, this friend had shared how he and his colleagues at his present company were oppressed by his boss and working under unfair conditions. And he ended by saying, some more the boss is a Christian. 
we see James here dealing similarly with the rich during his time who had oppressed his workers, their workers. James continues with the second charge against them. Behold the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James here levels a specific charge against the rich. They have defrauded their workers of their pay. They have kept back from paying them and by doing so have oppressed them. The specific background of this is found in Deuteronomy 24, where the Old Testament principle of making prompt payment of wages to a hired servant and not oppress them by delaying what is due to them. Prompt payment would have been very important for, for the poor servant or labourer in James' time. Why? As these poor workers often get by at a barely subsistence level and needed a steady income to provide daily provisions for himself and his family. So in a first century society where credit was not readily available, the failure to pay workers promptly by the wealthy could actually mean life or death for the worker and his family, could jeopardize the life of the worker and his family. However, the rich will not get away with their sins. What they have done is crying out against them. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James reminds his hearers, their cries have reached, literally have entered the ears of the Lord of hosts. This designation is used in the Old Testament to display God as a great warrior at the head of his armies. God has heard the cries of the oppressed. And he is a warrior who will bring disaster upon those who oppress the poor. James warns us that the wrongdoing of the rich has become known to God. And God, being holy and powerful, has determined to judge those who have gone against His commandments. If you have followed the news in the past few months, there have been a number of prominent public figures or civil servants in Singapore who have been hauled up to courts for corruption charges or criminal sex-related charges. And when the charges are read or published in the news, you, like me, who have been shocked to see not just one misdeed, but the charges usually contain a number of related wrongs. That is the depravity of sin. Once you sin and are enslaved by sin, you become blinded by sin and self-deceived, and you often rationalize and justify other sins. You would spiral downwards and become chained and shackled to a number of sins. And this is what happens to the rich who misuse their wealth here. There's literally a list of charges against them. And James proceeds with the third indictment. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. The rich and wealthy have pursued a luxurious lifestyle that is selfish and unconcerned about others' needs. They have fattened themselves by self-indulgence at the expense of others. The word live in luxury does not always suggest wickedness. After all, God does provide good things and abundant life for the enjoyment and delight of His people. 
But adding to this is that the rich have done so in self-indulgence. They have lived for their own pleasures, unconcerned about others. And the phrase, on the earth, adds the thought that they think absolutely nothing of God in heaven. They live for the pleasures of this age and forget those in need. The Bible never censures the rich per se. It's not a simple enjoyment of material blessings that James here condemns. It's rather the enjoyment of material wealth that has been unrighteously obtained that James condemns. To withhold wages is to steal from those who are less powerful and to indulge in luxury some more with those illegal obtained riches is doubly offensive. For those of us who like our meat, who like our steak, the cattle industry has devised the slaughterhouse process so that the cows are provided with food and made comfortable to prevent stress. I was just talking to a brother in between the service and he said, in addition to that, they are often massaged and there's actually music played along to keep them calm, make them comfortable and to prevent stress. And this is done so, as uh, people in the industry will claim, this is done so, so that the meat will taste better. And scientists have actually attached sensors to the cattle as they walk the chute to the slaughterhouse. And they conclude the animals are calm and placid. They are entirely unsuspecting of their fate. They go on chewing, 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 and then finally they get chomped as they are slaughtered. The cattle do not know what lies at the end of the realm. God has not written eternity in their hearts. But man should know. The Bible often says that those who live for pleasure in this world will suffer sorrow in the next. God's judgment brings reversal. James says that the self-indulgent rich have fed themselves in a day of slaughter. They have been fattening themselves up for their day of slaughter. They are like, just like the cattle in the example above. Grazing, stuffing themselves, not heeding that every bite moves them closer to the day when they will meet the slaughterer. James finally concludes the list of sins that the rich commits in their misuse of wealth. He tells us the rich hoard, oppress and defraud and indulge themselves. But that is not all. James writes, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. If murder is the most outrageous sin among men, then the murder of unresisting innocence is the most heinous among murders. As before, the murder here used here is probably figurative. Yet, by withholding their wages, the rich condemn the poor to poverty or even starvation. The word condemn here is actually a legal term and is used in the law court. It's likely that the rich in James' time actually used the legal system to further their own ends and to deprive the poor of their wages and lands. Those who had power and rich wealth on their side warned in court, not those who had justice. The rich used the legal system to oppress the poor for their own gains. 
James here mentions the murder of the righteous, not the poor, adding, he does not resist you. Some people have tried to identify a particular single man who suffered condemnation and murder, and some others have pointed to Jesus as the man James had in mind. The context here in my study does not seem to strongly support that. We cannot tell if James had Jesus in mind. But James, however, what we can be sure here, he actually joins with the prophets in the Old Testament as condemning the oppression of the innocent who offers no resistance. And this is actually great sin. I remember when I was a young student, when I just got my first pair of glasses. I had my first pair of glasses when I was eight. I was so much of a bookworm. Suddenly, everything became clear. Gone were the blurry vision I had endured in the weeks past. James, in these verses, does the same for us. Given that we are often self-deceived and we look at the world and look at ourselves with blurry vision, James' warning against the misuse of wealth by the non-Christian rich also serves as a corrective for us Christians. He tells us God's perspective and God's wisdom on this crucial matter of wealth, especially for us Singaporeans. I can say this because I'm a Singaporean born and bred, so I'm speaking to fellow Singaporeans here. In a report by Yahoo News on August 14, 2012, Singapore is now the richest country in the world. Singapore topped the charts for the highest GDP per capita in 2010. So according to the world standard, we are rich. Even those of us here with a smaller income, we are still rich compared to many parts of the world. So what can James teach us rich Singaporean Christians? Here, Pastor Theologian Daniel Doriani is helpful, and the following list has been adapted from his insights. James tells you and me not to be self-deceived and to look with God's perspective in the following areas. 1. Do not be deceived thinking that the wicked rich will always prosper. This is such a temptation for us as we look at the affluence in Singapore around us. James promised us that the wicked oppressors would not last forever. James assures God's people, assures us that the Lord defends the righteous and punishes the wicked on the day of judgment. Two, do not be deceived thinking that God does not care. I mean, I'm speaking with us here. I know some of us among no, some of us here may struggle financially and may even struggle to make ends meet. And there are times when we are tempted to think that God does not care, especially in a country as rich as Singapore. But James comforts us, assuring God's people that he knows their suffering. One day he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Thus, when you hear of the miserable end that awaits the rich, you should not envy their fortune but rather trust God to vindicate and avenge the wrongs that you have suffered. And with calm and trusting heart, bear them and persevere in them. Three, do not be deceived into being conformed to the world's standard. James reveals God's standard. 
when God tells the rich that misusing wealth by hoarding, oppression, and wage fraud leads to judgment. He tells every listening Christian that these sins violate his will and character. Therefore, James helped you and I to keep a healthy distance from the seductive power exercised by wealth and the luxuries here in Singapore. As those who live in these last days, we too should recognize in the grace of God already displayed in Christ in the judgment of God yet to come. This truth should serve as a powerful stimulus for us to share and not to hoard our wealth. Christ is coming back again. And with His second coming comes judgment and reward. Therefore, even if James 5, 1-6 primarily addresses rich non-Christian, it still has tremendous value for us Christians. Even if we are not ripe for judgment, we need to know how God sees the lifestyle that leads to judgment. For the Christian, our longing for the life with God should be the reward that takes our eyes off coveting after transient material wealth. For the non-Christian, the coming judgment as promised in God's word should turn you, should turn us from the misuse of wealth to seek the everlasting treasure found in Christ. In Matthew's gospel, there's a account of a rich young man. Remember, you know this story very well. This man come up, came up to Jesus and asked him, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus in his reply told him, if he would to have eternal life, he is to keep the commandments. And when asked which ones by the rich young man, Jesus recited the second half of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honour your father and mother, all which are fulfilled by loving the neighbour as yourself. However, interestingly, if you actually look carefully at the commands Jesus gave, he seems to have deliberately left out one. You shall not covet. The young man replied that he has done all these, and Jesus asked that he sell all he had and give to the poor and then follow Jesus. And we all know what happened. The rich young man went away sorrowful before he had great possessions. He had a covetous heart and sought his security in his material possessions. While we see James and the rest of the Bible do not actually condemn the rich and the wealthy per se, riches are not evil in themselves. We see many heroes of the faith in the Bible, they were, health, they were wealthy. People like Abraham, like Job, they were wealthy people. But on the other hand, Jesus tells us it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The desire for wealth is often insatiable. It's like a hunger that is never fulfilled. And having wealth exposes us to stronger temptations to cover, to seek more wealth and to find our security in material wealth and possessions. This is true for me. And isn't this true for you as well? If you look at our hearts, 
Even the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, chapter 7, 7 to 11, shared his struggles with covetousness. None of us are entirely immune to the sins James describes in the six verses we just covered. Even if we do not do the deeds as he describes, we still fall to the sin of covetousness. We all covered in our hearts. We all at one time or the other desire something that our neighbour has. We all fail without exception to live out the true religion that James describes. Who then can be saved? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible through Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Christ not only saves us from the penalty of our sins, but God counts Christ's righteousness to us when we trust and believe in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, continues to transform us to become more and more like Christ, so that in Christ we can be free from covetousness and from seeking our security in material wealth, finding contentment in our true riches in Christ. So turn to Christ. Turn to Christ, both rich and poor among us, for only He can free us from the enslavement that comes and the temptation that comes from wealth and riches. This is a hard message and even as I end this, it's my desire that as we go through and think about this passage this coming week, that God's word will continue to speak to us and help us to remove this mask of self-deceit that the culture often plays upon us, that our indwelling sin often upon us. So let us pray. Father God, even though these are harsh words from James, it is difficult for us to hear. We know that what James say, you say. These are your very words. These are your very words to us. I pray for all of us here that your words will pierce the self-deceit in our hearts due to our sin and give us the light of Christ to awaken us to see reality as it was meant to be seen through your eyes and perspective, especially in this area of wealth and riches. Give us the wisdom to live our lives according to your will so that through the right use of your wealth given to us, we might honour you, bring much good to your people and our neighbours and to bring glory to Christ's name. Amen.